0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next reel. We're looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man, and back with us today we have Rick and Julia Ingham from the Mad Max Minute. Welcome back, guys. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. We are thrilled to have you back. Today we are looking at Iron Man Minute 108. The minute starts with Ironmonger blowing up a bus with his shoulder rocket. And it ends with Ironmonger kicking in his booster rockets in pursuit of Iron Man up in the sky.
1: Here's my big explosion right here. here. This is what you were waiting uh-huh. for, Pete. <laughs> yeah.
2: Absolutely. And I love the
1: cartoon, like like doing the, the old, uh, you know, thrust the Iron Man face right in the camera <laughs> trick. I think that's really fun. That's straight out of Die Hard Two. That's right.
2: Right. <laughs> That's
1: exactly right. Yeah.
2: It's funny that you go with Die Hard2. I was gonna
0: say something straight out of like Looney Tunes. Yep. Oh. Yep. Well, there's a lot of Die Hard2 that feels straight out of Looney Tunes. <laughs> I actually really love that moment when he does come right up to the camera and his arm like like wipes right in front of the camera, and you get a great little noise with it. I don't know. It's just kind of a little whirring sound that happens as his arm swings by. I don't know why I find it so satisfying, <laughs> it's but like, I do. It's like
1: a droid sound, right? <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. At the beginning of the minute, we've been talking about rocks on. That is a fantastic, like the very opening frame of this minute when. And when Obadiah is targeting the bus with his laser rocket, uh, you get just that fantastic on Corporation logo back there. It looks it looks uh, it looks lovely. It's very nicely put.
2: Yeah, I really like the first frame of this minute because it's the kind of thing where. The Ironmonger's helmet is perfectly centered in the middle of the frame. You've got a lot of really nice dark colors, but also the bright of the eyes and the bright of the sign. I think it's pretty much the same blue, but then you've also got the clash of red shining off the helmet from the laser. This is the kind of thing where, hey, if you're poking through movies looking for desktop backgrounds, I would submit that this would be
0: a good one to use. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a frame full of villainy. You've got the villain of this film with his villainous weapon and a villainous corporation highlighted behind him. Everything about it works. (laughs) You know, what? it's funny you brought up his his helmet. This is a point that I don't think we've brought up, but... They had literally like just finished designing the Ironmonger helmet like two days before they were going to be filming with it because they still had kind of the Crimson Dynamo costume as the uh, as the costume that was going to be or the as the battle armor, I guess you would say that that uh, the Mandarin was going to be using. And I mean, even in the script that I'm using to reference this, it's still even through all of this with Obadiah Stain, it's always is still called the Crimson or the Dynamo outfit. And uh, the mask of the Dynamo had a very different design because of the Mandarin's uh, kind of Asian ethnicity. It was kind of connecting kind of some of that ethnicity into the mask. And it took them up until two days right before they were filming all of the scenes with it to actually finalize it. So, and I'm glad that they went with this one. It's a nice connection to the Mark 1. Everything works really nicely.
2: Mm -hmm. You can definitely see the through line one to the other
1: and it's also fun to look at this and the uh, ultron uh, ultimate ultron uh, design you know you can see a through line connecting the dots between you know all the way back here
3: yeah this particular face kind of surprises me a little bit because it does look a lot like the one that tony created in the cave and obadiah he upgraded the entire suit but not really the face too much I'm just kind of surprised he didn't, you know, visually update it.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that's not just a, uh, a way to lean into the fact that, you know, Obadiah is not a creative, artistic individual. He's a blunt instrument, you know. I mean, and that's that's what this whole suit is about. What's the most efficient way that I can get power, uh, you know, physical power and dominate, you know, this Iron Man creature uh, where Iron Man is, is a, you know, it's a creature of elegance.
0: Well, and I think yeah, it speaks to their mental frames of mind. You know, Tony Stark is very much kind of that that person who really is about kind of the 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 sleekness of of his designs. He's very much the the Steve Jobs, I guess you could say. And uh, you know, he's kind of looking for those great ways to kind of create fantastically uh, high level technology, but that is very efficient and clean. Whereas, yeah, Obadiah is very much just kind of that military mindset and just looks at it as what is the most efficient killing machine that I can put together? And he's, I think, less concerned about the helmet and more concerned about just the weapons that are going into the outfit. That And that's what really, for him, is probably his main focus.
3: And that difference in design taste is definitely on display this minute as they both take off. Tony takes off with ease and grace and elegance this suit is is a piece of art that he has created now he certainly had more time to do so but even if obadiah had had as much time as tony to to test and redo things and redesign he still wouldn't have created something elegant and when obadiah takes off it is labored and almost painful to watch (laughs) and he's this big Chunky thing trying to get off the ground. It's such a stark difference. Nice, stark. <laughs> let see what you did there.
2: <laughs> and this goes back to what I was talking about on Monday—that the Ironmonger has a weight to it. That this giant lumbering thing. Of course, it would take this much effort to get up off the ground because it's not something light and nimble and elegant like the Iron Man suit is. It is this essentially, you know, a pair of rockets, like literal space rockets strapped to legs in much that the legs actually transform into them.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing, no great sort of hand stabilizing. It's It's just, again, it's, it's brute force. Yeah,
0: that's, that's actually interesting. I don't think... I was uh, paying attention to his hands at all. But, yeah, I don't think he really takes advantage of the whole flight stabilizer element that Tony has found so useful. Right. And, and Which, again, speaks to the elegance.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is a, That's a
0: great... Or the inelegance here. Yeah,
1: it's just a lovely sort of side-by-side that we get with them taking off. And, and to see the, the plume of smoke, you know, that comes out of of Obi's, of, of the Ironmonger, uh, versus how Iron Man just slices through the sky.
2: Yeah. Yeah, if, if if Obadiah was thinking of sending these Ironmonger suits into any sort of situation and expecting them to get in, get out, and not create a very obvious trail of them right. doing so, he'd be very <laughs> sorely disappointed because This is not subtle. <laughs> yeah. You know, people are gonna
0: see that column of smoke from a mile away. Right. Yeah, his his launch is, is very slow and labored. Uh, and I, I, I do love right after he takes off, you get that shot of uh, of Tony, who for some reason looks surprised. And I don't know if I completely buy into his surprise that Obadiah <laughs> can fly. It's like, why wouldn't he be able to? He stole your ideas. But um, I, I love that idea as he and Jarvis are kind of talking about it. And you see on his HUD, it's almost like the, they've already analyzed it. You see kind of a little image of the Ironmonger suit pop up and then like a sub image of the foot pop up as if he's just kind of analyzing that foot rocket on the spot there. It's kind of cool. So, Tony wants to go to maximum altitude, and Jarvis is
2: helpful in telling him that they've only got 15% power, and he starts mentioning odds. And I have to wonder, is he about to launch into the odds of successfully going to maximum altitude at 50% remaining power? Are they 3,720 to 1? Very much (laughs) like flying through an asteroid field. Never tell me the odds.
0: (laughs) Because this does have a if very only. Han Solo feel to yeah. it. I know the math. Do it. Right. Considering the the moments that uh, Favreau has kind of thrown in as little nods to Star Wars and other, I mean, even Alien, he throws in little nods to other films and genres that he's been a fan of. I wouldn't have been surprised if we had that as a little more clear of a nod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I also really appreciate how it shows that Tony legitimately knows the math like Jarvis could tell him, but no, Tony is the kind of engineer that knows his stuff. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about the character. Sure, he's cocksure and annoying and whatnot, but he has the chops to back it up. And that's kind of his problem. That's why he's so arrogant is because he actually is that capable. But. At the same time, he's also not someone who's just skating through his processes. Like, he's putting the work in behind it, which is 90% of this movie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, to continue the Star Wars comparison, Han Solo has many of the same attributes as Tony Stark in that the ego. Uh, but when... Han Solo says never tell me the odds it's because he doesn't care Yeah, right, he's going to do right. it anyways it doesn't really matter what the odds are but when Tony says it it's because he already knows what the odds are he already did the math in his head and he thinks he can do it anyways
2: so did Jon Favreau lose out on an opportunity to get Anthony Daniels
0: to voice Jarvis <laughs> Ew, no
3: no he did not
0: wow there's, there's something I never uh, thought of <laughs> Does that mean he would be playing Vision now? (laughs) Yes.
3: That's not okay.
1: Oh, I need a recut of this movie with Anthony Daniels' voice.
0: I need it. (laughs) I don't know, Julie. I think I'm with you. (laughs) No, thank you. Uh.
3: (laughs) I expressed the other day how much I love Robert Downey Jr. in the role of Tony Stark. The casting in this movie, the only person I think who is better cast than Tony Stark is Paul Bettany as Jarvis.
0: Oh, he works so well.
3: It's perfect. And I just can't, especially the transition from being just a voice to then being a physical character once Vision comes around. How many other actors could have done both? It's just, it's yeah. just amazing.
0: Yeah, it's an amazing uh, about amount of luck that they cast somebody who does work so well as Vision because there are so many people that they could have cast to do voice work because, I mean, it's voice work, you know? (laughs) And I don't know if they had that much foresight because Jarvis was not... A a kind of the robot assistant in the comics. He was an actual butler. And so, did they always kind of think, oh, maybe we can use this down the road and let's cast somebody who could potentially work? Or was it just pure uh, kismet that it all kind of lined up and everything was the way it needed to be? Because, man, is Paul Bettany great in in both Mm -hmm. ways as Jarvis and then as uh, Vision. One other note that I had to point out, because I just love the detail work when they do it with the Iron Man suit, when we get like right about 30 seconds as we push in on him before uh, before he kind of continues shooting up into the sky, all of the uh, the drag marks across his face where the, the <laughs> color has just like scraped away when he was dragged under the car, that detail work is just fantastic. I love seeing that on his face. It just looks so authentic right there.
1: For those wallpaper hunters, that's at 30 seconds in this, uh, right into this, and it's amazing. It's one of those where, you know, sometimes there are these great shots that would be perfect stills, but there's too much motion blur in it, and this is another one of those shots that's just so crisp. If you've got
2: a two-monitor setup, you could do Obadiah on one <laughs> with the laser pointing off to the right, and then in your other <laughs> monitor, you have Iron Man on the other, more pushed off to the right, and it would just meld up very nicely.
1: You don't get this sort of aesthetic, technical guidance on many other podcasts. We're glad you tune in here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The wallpaper placement (laughs) podcast. That's what we're here for, folks. Uh, We do get uh, the two of them now uh, blasting off into the sky. We get a a brief moment of Pepper, who clearly hasn't moved she's been standing still in the parking lot since they took off uh or since tony blasted obadiah back down through the hole she's not moved she's in the exact same spot i don't know if i buy that but uh <laughs> right this is where i start getting frustrated with what they're doing with pepper because i'm like she is a very active character otherwise she should be doing so much more she should be you know, contacting people and getting things done. And here she is just standing in the parking lot and staring. And I feel like this is a sign of that early Marvel where they weren't necessarily being as responsible with female characters because I feel like, unfortunately, I feel like Pepper's just turned into uh, not quite the damsel in distress, but certainly an inactive character just standing by the sidelines. And it's a little disappointing at this moment. What do you guys think?
3: I think it is disappointing, partially because it happened so fast. It was only a few minutes ago that she was, you know, sneaking into Tony's office and downloading the files and facing Obadiah and, you know, figuring out how to get out of that situation and get into Sector 16. Like, she did a lot. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't that long ago.
0: No, right.
3: And all of a sudden, she's just standing there.
1: Yeah, she was yeah. the stark point person to shield like, to mm-hmm. the the authorities uh you know that's agency and it's gone i'm glad that you mentioned shield because i would think
2: instead of her just standing outside that she would head into the building and
0: see if those shield guys are okay right we know we know 3 of them were taken out but we know there were more down there because colson is her backup (laughs) right (laughs) like
2: like if iron monger is coming back she should see if like colson can call in a few more guys right because colson has shield at his back and she doesn't necessarily have a private stark army that she can call on but
0: she knows exactly where to find someone who does Likewise, this is the uh, the property. This is Stark Industries. This is a big complex with a lot of people. We know when Pepper arrived with the Shield agents uh, a few minutes ago. When she's um, when they're pulling in and parking their cars, there is a guard at the gate. They drive past him, and if <laughs> if you just take the shot of her, and instead of pointing straight down at her, if you just kind of tilt the camera up, the guard should still be sitting in the shack. What is he doing through all of this? Well, he's watching. Are they calling people? <laughs> yeah, I'm
2: guessing either it's a crossword
0: or a Sudoku puzzle. Right. Maybe he's got like a little television that he's watching. <laughs> he's got his his earbuds in. He doesn't hear anything when he has he's catching those up videos. on his
3: stories.
1: <laughs> yep, his <laughs> podcast. Right? He's he was an early podcast adopter. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: 2008. Sure, he's probably listening to Star Wars minute.
0: Star Wars minute
1: source code. Adam Curry deep cuts.
0: No, it's uh, it it is interesting. And and that's something that certainly I think is going to come up as this finale of the film progresses is like, where are the security teams at Stark Industries? Why are they not involved in uh, in alarms going off? Something's happening at the big arc reactor, which is a huge source of power, potential danger. And there's a giant eruption in the parking lot. Like, I feel like there would be things happening. So we'll keep our eyes on that as as things progress. But otherwise, we're now up in the skies with these two, and uh, we jump over back to Edwards Air Force Base as as they tap in on this. Now, I don't know if Edwards Air Force Base is just constantly monitoring the skies over every part of the world. Last we checked, they were monitoring Afghanistan. I don't know how this works, but all of a sudden, they notice that they have the same uh, the same signature uh, in. LA that they had in Afghanistan, because we have Tim Griffin as our CAOC analyst who says, sir, you're not going to believe this. That thing is back. And then James Bathia sees it on the monitor. He's the other CAOC analyst. And he says, get me Major Allen before we're interrupted by good old uh, uh, roadie, who uh, I don't know, honestly, how fast he drove. But and I know he was in in Tony's uh, fantastic Audi R8. But I mean, he went from Tony's house, in just a few minutes, all the way to Edwards Air Force Base, which is probably at least an hour drive. And he got there in like five minutes.
2: <laughs> eh, that's,
1: that's what happens when you drive the Audi R8, I guess. <laughs> I, I wonder how they reconcile this sequence had they kept the, uh, <laughs> the deleted scene where he was just in an Audi accident.
0: Uh, and had the roof. Well, I think car. that this was a replacement for that. Yeah. I, I think that, that that was the initial plan that they had, and then they decided uh, to, you know, have the, uh, you know, keep the skies clear line that that Tony gave him, just to kind of put him somewhere else. So he's he's now kind of the military guy. He's no longer just Tony's sidekick.
1: Well, Kelly. it's nice to actually see him take heed to Tony's request. Keep the skies clear. You know, this This is the payoff to that joke from or to that request uh, a a while back.
0: And it's also, uh, in a way, it ends up being kind of a payoff, an interesting set of payoff that I didn't realize was going to happen, where he tells the guy just a training exercise, which is kind of the joke that we had. It was an interesting line that we had Tony tell him to to use in kind of the whole thing going on in Afghanistan with the when he was doing the dogfight with the two jets had it had been telegraphed that that was a setup for this payoff later. I don't think it would have worked as well. But it actually ends up just being this payoff for something that didn't need a payoff. So it ended up really being a great callback to that uh, moment earlier.
2: Well, not only not only is it a callback, but isn't it also conforming to the rule of threes? Like Tony mentions, call it a training exercise. Rhodes goes before the press and calls it a training exercise. And so I think this is the third time we hear Rhodey um repeat in you know second time for him but third time overall where he says training exercise
0: this film is really good at doing that with the setups (laughs) and payoffs and and they it's something that they've really tapped into quite strongly and it'll be interesting to see how overall the uh, marvel cinematic universe sticks with that or is that something that just favreau is doing really well
2: like if people haven't caught on by now this is a pretty is a really good movie there's a lot of re- there's a lot of reasons <laughs> that people still look at this and right. say that it's their favorite,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I don't think I have anything else for this minute, guys. What about you guys? There's really
2: not much left to this minute at all. So good here. I mean, if we're going to talk about flying, we should definitely
0: keep save it for tomorrow. Yeah, we'll have a, a lot of flying stuff to talk about uh, then. So yeah, let's uh, wrap it up for today. We'll uh, be back. But uh, would you guys like to remind everybody? Where can they find you online and learn more about you and the Mad Max Minute?
2: Absolutely. So our main home on the Internet is, of course, MadMaxMinute.com, as I've mentioned before. But we're also available through so many different podcast sources. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. If you've got a streaming podcast service that you like to use – Chances are, all you'll have to do is type in Mad Max Minute, and we will pop right up. There's one that came out just recently, uh, Himalaya. We're on that one. So no matter where you look, all you should have to do is type in Mad Max Minute, and you'll be able to find us.
0: Search it out, everybody. It is worth listening to. And that is it for today's show, everybody. So thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Real. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true Believers.